can't begin to tell you how grateful I am that God appointed this hour for that gift in this place. Thank you so very much. For our guests here today, I'm so grateful that you made the decision to be in this place with us. I'm a very fortunate man. In my background, I not only have a business background, but for seven years I was associate pastor of a church on the campus of Tacoma Falls College and the associate pastor of the college for seven years. So anytime I can step in for pastor, uh, it's a real joy and a real privilege. And uh, on behalf of David and Jeannie, for those of you who are guests with us this morning, we're so grateful that you're here. And thank you for that choice and thank you for that decision. This is a church that is special to my wife Donna and I. Uh, I grew up in this church and uh, met Donna in this church and married Donna in this church. And so it's very special. And part of those growing up years was under multiple ministries, not the least of which is Milo Beasley. It's good to see you. And yeah, and he just shook his head at me like, dude, don't do, you know, just don't say anything. I'm here, don't say anything. But uh, your ministry made a difference in our lives, yours and Becky's. The other ministry that um, made a difference in my life is Bill Hall. Now, uh, Bill was very transparent with us this morning uh, about his um, preparation to get here today. And I want to be very transparent with you about your preparation to go home. Uh, this is a man who did not bring his glasses and could not read the hymn book. And he drove to church. <laughs> I'm going to see what I can do to delay his departure until I know you're safely on the road. It is the least I could do. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. I don't know about you. Um, I don't know what you look forward to. I don't know what, uh, what is that thing or things that are important to you tomorrow. I have been through multiple stages in my life, as many of you have been through stages in your life, about the things that you find important. I can remember when it was important for school to let out for the summer. It seemed um, the summer was never long enough back in the day. But I have to tell you, I looked forward to school being let out. I looked forward to driving a car. There are those who know me, <laughs> smiling at me even now, uh, who know that I took driving a car to a, an entirely new level. Um, not the level of my dear colleague and friend Owen Snyder, who would, um, um, anyway, that's another story. But I, I was in my own way trying to keep up. And uh, I wanted to learn, I wanted to drive. That was an aspiration, something I wanted to do. I wanted to graduate from high school. I wanted to get married. There was a time the aspiration was for children in our home. And then the aspiration changed and 
wanting children out of my home. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. There was a time that we looked forward to our children being married. And a time that we look forward to grandchildren. There's a time today that uh, I look forward to time with Donna. Many in the church would know that for the last several years I've been full-time working in Canada, which required being away from home quite a bit. And today I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm able to be with Donna. And I look forward to time with Donna. We look forward to driving to Mississippi and being with our grandchildren and our daughter and son-in-law. We love our children that live here in suburban Atlanta. We look forward to trips. We look forward to some type of vacation. Those are common and ordinary things that you probably in your life at some time have experienced some, if not all, of those things. We are, as humans, prone to look forward. Now, some of us um, have enough baggage behind us that it requires a look back every now and then. And I understand that. I look back too. But the question of this morning is, what is it that you're looking forward to? And what would God expect you to look forward to? We're in a series of messages led by Pastor David on great expectations. Pastors talked about a series of things that God would expect you and me to be looking for and doing and active in his expectations of us. And he has a very clear expectation this morning. And I'll take a few minutes to share that. But before we do, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love for us, your presence in us, and your goodness to us. And we thank you for the moments that we have in this place. Help us, Father, to reverence you and to be grateful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the New Testament, uh, the book of John, is, um, I'll start with a verse or two in the book of John, and then we'll move to Colossians chapter 3, where I told you that the other tool this morning, in addition to the hymn book, is this Bible in the pew in front of you. You may have it on tablet, you may have it on phone, however you have God's Word, it would be good if you have Colossians 3 ready. John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that would be you and me, believes in Him should not perish but would have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him, that is Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe in Him has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So in John's Gospel, we're understanding that that God loves us. And in John's Gospel, we're reading that the demonstration of that love is the person and presence of Jesus Christ. God Himself in the form of God's Son. 
come to earth to dwell among us so we would see God and understand God. And ultimately, so that he, God, would open a door for you and for me into eternal life. Eternal life in heaven. There is another eternal life. It is not heaven. But this is about opening a door for you and me in an eternal life called heaven. Where we would be with God. And walk with him. In perfect harmony. Throughout the spectrum of this great book, this word from God to you and to me, heaven is mentioned and noted hundreds of times. It is a topic that is well worn and yet leaves you and I longing for more information about this. And particularly more information about that moment when my eyes will close here and open there. There's a gap. There's an unknown. And yet people I know and you know and love and you love have closed their eyes here and opened their eyes there. Despite the unknown. Jesus many times offers words of comfort. We'll not go there, but John 14 is a great example of the comfort of Christ for you and me for that moment when our eyes close here and open there. He's been talking with his disciples in what we call chapter 13, some hard messages about his upcoming death and the betrayal that would occur. And he starts chapter 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be troubled by what I said, and don't let it be troubled by what you don't know. You see, in this message series called Great Expectations, there's an expectation I believe God has for you and for me, and that is for us to have our eyes on heaven. That He expects us to focus our mind on heaven. There are competing priorities. Here, we call that family. We call that work. We call that retirement. We call that hobby. We call that investments. We call that whatever you and I call it. There are competing priorities, but the expectation I believe that God has and the message for us today is, I want your eyes on heaven. And uh, Colossians chapter 3 is the uh, place to go to one of the times that um, the Apostle Paul talks about this matter of heaven. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. He's trying to help them understand their theology related to Jesus and the sovereignty of Christ and the work of Christ in completing um, uh, our salvation. And in chapter 3, uh, it starts this way. Uh, if then, so he has been talking about what a Christ follower is, what you and I should look like. If what I just said to you describes you, then you have been raised with Jesus. What is the raised with Jesus? It is the resurrection. It is what we will celebrate, we call Easter, in a few weeks. 
It is that moment where God in His grace and goodness raised Christ from the dead. We have been raised in Christ. And if this is true of you, keep seeking the things that are above. Where Christ is. And how do we know where Christ is and why the word above? It is the ascension. So you'll remember that Jesus, after the resurrection, spent time with his disciples and in the company of hundreds of witnesses. And then the moment came where Jesus ascended back to the Father. In view of man, he was standing and then he was not. That is the ascension and that is the text here where Christ is above seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are here on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You and I were a witness to the um, services to the outpouring on the death of Billy Graham, Mark, uh, February the 21st. Uh, some of us watched that funeral service that Friday, and I did, and I must tell you I was watching it in awe. Uh, awe of the power of God to speak through His children to my heart, and perhaps to yours. Some of us are aware that Mary and Murray passed away a week ago Saturday, a little after midnight. His funeral was this week at Sandy Springs Chapel. And some of us grew up with Mr. Murray and Mrs. Murray. Norma sold our first house in Roswell so we could move to North Carolina and begin my career. Marion coached boys basketball when we had a gym here on campus and he didn't have any boys in the basketball program but he just coached it because he wanted to and he could. We would bowl with them in church league on Saturday nights with so many other saints who are now walking with them with Jesus. I landed in uh, North Carolina on uh, Thursday, uh, I'm sorry, Wednesday afternoon. And a dear friend from a work relationship there, her mother was in hospice and we traded texts as I was uh, in North Carolina. Her mother passed away Thursday morning about 1.30. As a church, we've been praying for Dot Thomas for weeks, months, even longer. Jeannie's mother has cancer, has a tumor on her brain. A remarkable woman of faith, not unlike many of you who sit here today. Loving husband, family, children, grandchildren. And Friday morning, about 4 a.m., she closed her eyes here and was standing there. 
And yesterday on Facebook, Molly Brown posted about Anthony Ray, a person for whom we've been praying as a church in his illness, in his hospice care, in his last days. And he passed yesterday. It isn't the passing here that is the critical understanding for you and me of those of us who know Jesus. Many of us in the room have experienced loss of loved one or not lost. They're not lost. They're not lost. We know exactly where they are. We're experiencing the pain of separation from loved ones. But this text in verse 3 overrides that thought and that conversation. And that's why it to me is so important for us as God expects us to look up. How does he expect us to look up? Because we are dead already through Jesus. You're still walking and breathing and I'm still walking and breathing. But we are dead through Christ and through the blood he shed on Calvary for you and me. We are as dead as any of the people I just mentioned today. Not physically dead, but we're dead to sin. And that's how you and I can have a vision and look forward to this place called heaven. Paul goes on to talk about in verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, not the life you have, you died to that life. Your life is now in Christ. My life is now in Christ. And oh, that he would give us a vision of what that means and how to live that out is my prayer. But we are dead. And we are alive now in Jesus. Just as Dot is alive in Jesus. And changed her physical location. And Billy Graham is alive in Jesus. He was and is. When Jesus who is our life is revealed. Second coming. Then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. To such things as immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. This afternoon or sometime this week, I would encourage you to look at the rest of that chapter 3 of Colossians. Because it's not an either-or proposition. You are not dead here and alive there, and they're separate. No, we are dead here and expected to live out our life here in a particular way. In the rest of this chapter, Paul talks with you and me about setting aside those things that would ultimately compromise or separate us from his love in deference to how we should be living with each other in the body of believers and in a Christ-like walk. 
So God has many expectations for you and me. And we've talked about them in the recent weeks. But the one today, the one that is touching my heart, and I hope it will touch your heart, is the expectation that we look up. That the minutiae, the mire in which we're standing and being exposed to is nothing. We are dead through the blood of Christ. We are being raised to heaven. And that our walk now must reflect that. The eyes on heaven are fine, but it will require, and Paul talks about the balance of this chapter, what that looks like here. And my encouragement, my heart for you today, is that you would look up and you'd seize the expectation, not because today is the day that you're going to close your eyes here and open your eyes there, although for some it could be. That's not the point. The point is we're already there. The blood of Christ has confirmed your address as heaven and my address as heaven. So church this week, look up for your redemption draweth nigh.